I hired an accountant to come like set up my QuickBooks file, which was like the backbone of my my whole system, you know, for the first number of years and sat down and he's like, okay, bring me all the bank statements and I'll set up the file and get you started. And he goes, no, I told you all the bank statements. And I said, no, this, this is all the statements. And he just looked at me and he's like, how much is the rent of this apartment? Because you actually have less money in the bank than, <laughs> than you have to pay rent on the space that we're sitting right now. And of course I showed him underneath the table. I had all this inventory that was sort of underneath the kitchen table. And I said, well, that's fine. I've, I've already pre-purchased all the inventory for the next six months. I just have to be motivated to get out and sell it. And he's, he just looked at me and he's like, but you could get a real job. Like you don't have to be doing this. Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, how a kid from Florida created a completely new category by fusing fashion and water bottles is a way to battle single-use plastics and sold millions of units in the process. All right, all right. Now, if you like and enjoy the show, please take a minute or two to rate and review us over at iTunes. iTunes uses these as part of the algorithm that determines ratings on the Apple charts, and ratings help us to build an audience, which then helps us to continue to produce this show. Better yet, why don't you go ahead and share the show with a friend who you think might enjoy listening. On today's episode, we are talking to Sarah Kaus, founder and chairwoman at Swell Bottle. Swell is best known for what has now become their iconic, fashionable water bottle. They are getting into other related products, complimentary bottles and tumblers, cutlery, snack containers, and other travel-related vessels. And Swell is one of those brands that I personally use, and I had no prior connection to, other than being a happy customer, Prior to this interview, a sleek white swell sits on my office desk every day, and our family each has our own color-specific swell from when we are at home. Sarah, as you're about to hear, built the company from the ground up as a bootstrapped venture. This July 2020, they will celebrate their 10-year anniversary, a Herculean achievement for any business, let alone a startup. Sarah has been recognized as a Fortune 40 Under 40 honoree and EY Entrepreneurial Winning Woman, while Swell has been named the number one fastest growing woman-led company by the Woman Presidents Organization and honored with the Brand Design Award by Inc. Magazine. The bottle has become such a recognizable design that their products are sold at the MoMA Museum Store in New York City. As an entrepreneur and advocate, Sarah is building a global lifestyle brand that gives back. She currently sits on the UNICEF USA New York Regional Board and is a member of the 2018 class of Henry Crown Fellows within the Aspen Global Leadership Network at the Aspen Institute. And this is her story. So Sarah, preparing for this interview... It really got me thinking about the first time a water bottle meant something to me. And so when I was a young kid, my grandfather had given me these National Geographic books. And the one book that I would stay up late night reading was about this family that went backpacking. And I just loved it. I thought everything was so cool. My family didn't backpack. So it was such this like different kind of experience. And it was never really talked about it, but the one piece of gear that was always like omnipresent in every photograph was this like Nalgene water bottle. And it was like the milk carton, white plastic with the blue mm-hmm. lid. And I'd always like coveted that water bottle. You know, I, I, I didn't even get one, I don't think, until I was in college. But it made me feel like an adventurer. It made me feel like a backpacker, like I was some sort of mountaineer. Do you remember the first time a water bottle meant something to you? No, that's an interesting question. Uh, the first time a water bottle meant something to me, you know, I think for me, uh, the first time a water bottle meant something to me was when I saw so many people using the single use plastic bottles. You know, I, I went to school in Boulder and always carried a reusable bottle, but I don't think that the bottle I carried had any type of meaning 
just the fact that it was reusable. And I, I think that when you ask me that question, the first thing that really comes to mind are these crystallizing moments where I'd see people, you know, clutching onto their, their single use plastic bottle and, and just really having not such a positive reaction to it. Yeah. And, and so what yeah. was it about, and when did you first become aware that the single use plastic was something bad? I mean, I remember for the longest time, I just didn't know. You know, I would use a single use plastic bottle. I thought that's how you bought uh, water or, or whatever. And I, I didn't know it wasn't like uh, intuitive. I had to be taught. Do you remember the first time that that really hit home for you? Yeah, I think the first time it really hit home for me was I was on a family vacation in Peru and we were on very rural boat ride about an hour and a half from civilization in a canoe with a motor going to sort of an eco preserve. And it was absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. And the fish and the, I mean, pink dolphin and you, I mean, you, it is as gorgeous as you can imagine. And then when you really focused in on the banks of the river, you could see floating water bottles, you know, floating pieces of plastic. And, you know, this is as remote as a place that I had been at that point in my career. And I was taking pictures. And next thing I knew, I found myself taking pictures of floating trash instead of the beauty of the landscape because I was so gobsmacked by it. Hmm. How old were you at that time? Oh, I was probably um, in my early 30s. Yeah. And so you're seeing all this this plastic. And is that when you resolved to do something about it or it was swell already in existence? You know, I think swell was in existence in my mind for a while. You know, I, I was a bit of a restless soul. I, I wanted to start a company. I didn't think I had a big enough idea. I, I was reading a lot about the global water crisis and about, you know, how a, almost a billion people at the time on the planet didn't have access to clean water. Um, I was very passionate about climate change and trying to understand how, how, you know, mankind's impact on on the planet was you know having an impact on on climate change and how that is affecting populations uh so I was sort of thinking and reading and thinking about trends you know at the same time that in my career I was unsettled and thinking like what can I do about it and you know is there a product or a company that could solve some of this so I think I was thinking about swell for a long time until it really crystallized and became a company and a product and, and a mission for me but I think for for me personally I kind of had to percolate on it for a number of years until it kind of came out and the manifestation of the company that that we became. Yeah, and it's such an interesting thought to me because those are some big challenges you just listed. Those are big problems. And so, you know, there's a story that when I was doing research for this interview uh, about your dad who gave you a paperweight and <laughs> on that paperweight, yeah. I thought that was so cool. Uh, he said, and I'm looking for my note here. It's what would you do if you could not fail? Right. And so that yeah. is such a big idea, such a big challenge. Hey, I want to take on the environment. Like, how did you think that you could do that by starting a water bottle company? You know, I, I kind of thought that if I could create uh, accidental activists, so if, you know, I, I was an activist, but I wasn't necessarily a dark green tree hugger. You know, I was buying fashionable, you know, handbags and shoes and dresses and, if I could create a product that was an it thing that people would want and covet because other people were buying it or because it was in fashion magazines and, and sort of turn the conservation piece upside down and actually create a product that looked better, worked harder, did something for you or your, your, you know, um, your, your feeling of self, then I could, could potentially get more people to adopt and use the product and then become activists, you know, for the planet and for the mission. Because, you know, I realized that there were already so many reusable bottles on the planet. You mentioned the, the Nalgene bottle, which is a great product, right? Ubiquitous. You know, I went to school in Boulder and everybody was, you know, walking around carrying one of those with a carabiner to your backpack, but then you pull out and you, you know, I was, I was living in New York city for a while and you see fashionable people pulling out, you know, a single use plastic bottle out of their, their fancy handbag or briefcase or, you know, backpack. And so I thought if there's a way for me to turn this upside down and make a product that's beautiful and by the way, works better than anything else with, with, you know, insulating properties, keeps things hot and cold, whatever, by the way, more people will adopt it and, and happenstance 
do better for the planet. So I think that was sort of the the insight that I thought would sort of lead to more adoption and then more impact overall. I, I just got caught up. I think I've been pronouncing uh, Nagaline wrong apparently the whole time, the whole life. So that, that's a good that's a good le- lesson right there. I like that. And thank you for graciously informing me without uh, correcting me on my own show. But I'll I'll admit that I was I'm being corrected here. I like that. And so what I really heard in that was that you were looking around and you just felt underrepresented. You didn't feel like there was anything like you out there addressing this need. Did I get that right? that's right. I think I was underestimating the size of the market when I started Swell, but I really created a product for myself, assuming that if there was a, a, a spot in the market that would that could fulfill the need that I had for a product, there were many other people like me or you know, a pivot to the right or left of me. But I don't think I was really thinking you know, how, how large is the ocean when you stand and look at it from the shore? You know, I don't think I realized when I was starting the company, how, how big of a, of a mission and and a vision we, we could and should have. I was really just starting small thinking, why don't I see if I can make something for myself and, and market to people like me? Yeah. And and I think like, I don't know about you, but you know, I think if I think of those big things up front, I might not even do them. You know, it might be so Mm -hmm. big that, (laughs) that it's It's overwhelming. overwhelming. Yeah, Yeah. It's overwhelming. And then you don't get started. Exactly. Mm. So it sounds like that you have led a life of activism, of environmentalism. Uh, were you always this way? I mean, was eight-year-old Sarah, you know, growing up in Florida, were you were you an environmentalist at, at a young age? You know, I was. I was. You know, my parents raised me in such a way that, you know, I was, I was a Girl Scout and you take the oath of, you know, making the world a better place wherever you go. And, you know, when we would take a boat ride, we would, you know, pick up plastic, you know, from, from the ocean that we would see bobbing along, or, you know, we would go for a walk at the beach and instead of picking up shells, we would, you know, pick up things. Um, you know, we were the first people to recycle on our block before they had curbside pickup. And, you know, I, one of my Girl Scout projects was making our local camp more accessible to, to handicapped girls. So they also could the experience, you know, the outdoors. So, you know, I, I really thank my parents for sort of instilling in me at a, a very young age, you know, just sort of the, the community spirit and, um, you know, how to, how to view the world. Um, I, I grew up in a small town, so there, there weren't a heck of a lot of, you know, distractions anyway. So, you know, going for a hike or going for a walk seemed like the biggest adventure you could be having, but I felt my parents really took the time to use that backdrop uh, of, of our town or our experience to really teach my, my brother and myself a lot of lessons along the way. So I'm pretty fortunate in that aspect. Yeah. And were they entrepreneurial? I mean, I love that story about your dad and that paperweight. Like, that's just like, you know, yeah, I don't have a paperweight for my dad, by the way. Like, I wish no. I did. Like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> not, not that story. Love you, dad. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. but uh, I mean, I mean, that seems like a, a great teaching lesson, a, a very strong presence in your life. Was your, was your father or your mother entrepreneurial? I mean, were there, they role models for you? Yeah. So my parents actually were both entrepreneurs growing up. So my mom um, had her own business and it was an ice cream store. And not only did she, you know, own and manage and run the ice cream store, but she drove the ice cream truck. And, you know, for Easter, she would actually dress up like as the Easter bunny and bring you a bunny cake um, to make make sure that, you know, she hit all of her sales numbers, you know, for that month. She used to joke around that she thought she'd be, uh, she'd be buried with Rocky Road on her arms uh, from making cakes. And then uh, my dad was an entrepreneur as well, super hard worker and, uh, and owned and, and managed a, uh, a car wash gas station, sort of uh, a mini plaza in, in Florida for, for nearly 40 years uh, and just recently sold it. So my parents were both small business owners and, and um, really instilled in, in myself, you know, growing up, just sort of the, the spirit of, you know, hard work and, and can doism, you know, and, you know, being around them both, uh, was, was definitely part of, you know, who I was when I grew up and, and, you know, became a businesswoman. Yeah. And I have to imagine that uh, having both those strong role models in your life, that the idea of owning your own business, at least, you know, was planted as a seed, uh, all throughout your, your early informative years. Um, did you, try going into uh, a normal career, as they would say? Or were you uh, right from the get-go, were you focused when you went to CU Boulder? Were you like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? I always thought I would be an entrepreneur, but I don't know that I 
I don't know that I had the idea or I don't know that I necessarily had the confidence. Uh, you know, I love these stories of these, these young people that, you know, their first job, you know, either they drop out of school or their first job out of school is starting a business. I, I don't think that I was, I was ready for that straight out of school. So I, I took a real job. I took a day job. I took a bit of a windy path to, to starting swell, but you know, my, my first, you know, job or career out of Boulder was I became a CPA and I worked at Ernst & Young and I did audit and I did tax and, I learned a lot that people were nice, but it was terrible. It was just an absolutely, it wasn't where I was meant to be. It wasn't creative. And, you know, there, there, it wasn't, you know, what I, what I'm doing today, but when I really look back on it, it was absolutely essential for me to have an understanding of accounting and finance, you know, know my way around the numbers, really understanding so many different industries. Like my clients were everything from, media, financial services, uh, consumer products, uh, hospitals, um, some light manufacturing. So I got to get in and out of a lot of businesses, you know, in my early twenties, you know, instead of just sort of taking a typical day job and getting to see one industry, I got to see all kinds of things as, as much as, you know, becoming an accountant wasn't really fitting for myself and, and, you know, my, my overall skill set of, you know, what I wanted to do with my career. Yeah. And, and I love, uh, you know, a bit of your path and, and we can talk about this, but, you know, you grew up in Florida, you, you decide to go see some of the world and you, you, you um, I don't know even if you lived anywhere in between there, but you go to, to Boulder to, to university, you go to Ernst and Young and it says here that, you know, you've, you've lived in, you know, Denver and Los Angeles. Uh, and then you take that, that work experience and you decide to go to Harvard and um, to go get your MBA. And again, at this point, are you like, I'm going to start a business or is it more like, Hey, I just know I want to be in business and to further my career, I, I need to, you know, go get my MBA. You know, when I was working at, at Ernst Young at, at EY, which has been renamed in Los Angeles, before I went to business school, most of my clients were entrepreneurs. And so, you know, I would do the hard work and and get their financial packages together and bring them their audit work. And then I would sit down and say to them, like, how did you get to where you are? You know, what's your background? How, how can I become you instead of, you know, basically doing your accounting? And one of the common themes that they seem to have was, you know, a business background and in further business education. And so as much as I, I didn't know how to just sort of one day wake up and become, you know, a, a great business person, I thought two years of business business school would certainly allow me uh, to be exposed to uh, to more people, to more ideas, and give me the gift of time to really try to think about, you know, myself and my my skill set, and also the world and in what I might contribute and what type of a company I might start. So, really, business school was more of a filibuster to try to figure it out and kind of a place to hang out for a few years to to try to find that aha, you know, moment that that would, you know, launch my career. You know, unfortunately, when I was in business school, you know, the economy had a bit of a, of a downturn. September 11th happened when I was there. There weren't a lot of jobs. Uh, it was a bit of a scary time to graduate with a lot of debt. And so I wound up sort of just taking a job after school for a few years um, until I could, you know, come up with some idea, you know, to start swell. What was that job? Oh gosh, I um I first for a year worked for the school. I worked for Harvard for a year. Um, they had a bit of a a wonderful program for for wayward souls that couldn't find a job. So I stayed at the school for a year, and I actually worked for the now dean um, in the leadership initiative, uh, sort of reading and uh, writing uh, leadership cases, and uh, doing some like internal consulting for the school. And then from there, I wound up uh, getting into commercial real estate development of all things, and I work for a publicly traded REIT that built um, science buildings and laboratories. And I stuck there for about five or six years doing these large public-private partnerships between sort of cities and, and hospitals and pharmaceutical companies. Um, it was very entrepreneurial in that um, every project had its own stakeholders, its own you know, P&L, its own set of employees or consultants. Um, so even though the underlying theme was, you know, real estate or, you know, science building. The neat thing was my company had a fair amount of confidence in me and sort of let me go um, sort of one, run some projects on my own in a very entrepreneurial way, which I think finally gave me that dose of confidence and that little bit of a kick in the pants that, that, you know, I probably had, I probably had what I needed to go start my company. Finally, I didn't need to keep taking jobs, you know, for, from working for others. 
Yeah. And that's so cool. And I think, you know, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs and mentor entrepreneurs myself. And, you know, I think there is this misconception that you have to do it right out of school or go to an entrepreneurship track at university and then get right into it. And I think that there's something Mm -hmm. really powerful about your story and your experience of going out and forming your own worldview and kind of figuring out what it is you care about and learning all these different skills and, you know, on somebody else's dime while you're making a salary, also with someone else's momentum. Because as you Mm -hmm. know, as an entrepreneur, it's like really hard to get momentum. And so, I mean, I think that there's something just really, really powerful in that and a lesson to be learned for our listeners and that, you know, you don't have to, you know, start some fabled business the second you get out of school or the second you even decide you have an idea. Um, You know, there are different ways of of getting there. Mm -hmm. That, that's great advice. I, I oftentimes give other entrepreneurs that same advice as well. And I would say to add to that is just be patient with yourself. Cause I, you know, I was not very patient with myself when I was so frustrated when I wasn't coming up with the idea and I was, you know, but I, I think that, you know, when you try to force it, sometimes it just doesn't come. But, you know, I, I also like to say, you know, just as you mentioned, learn on someone else's dime, but, but also just in any, any situation you're in, there's something to be learn. I mean, there's some, if it's either from a functional perspective or a leadership perspective, even if you're in a position that there isn't good leadership or there isn't good, you know, even if it's a bad experience, there's something so positive that you can learn when you start your own venture, you're just going to do it completely differently. Right. So I I think that's great advice. Yeah. And so you're, you're getting experience, you're working on some cool businesses. Where did the idea for Swell first come about? Um, it was that literal, literal, you know, aha moment on a mountainside. So I was working pretty much nonstop. One of my character flaws is, you know, when I put my mind to something, I, I, I can't, I can't do it in moderation. And so even though I was working for someone else's business, I was working all the time. And my, my, my mom said, listen, I'm having a a mini intervention. I'm taking you away for a, a, vacation weekend, a three-day weekend, and we're going to go hiking and we're going to have spa day. And, you know, we're just going to kind of get out in the world and talk. And I was literally hiking with my mom on a hot day in Arizona. And I took a sip of water out of a a, a stainless steel, single-walled, kind of a cheap bottle that they gave us there at at the hotel. And it just came to me. I literally had to get out of my day-to-day life and, and be on the side of a mountain and, and drink warm water. And I thought, all of the things I'm passionate about right now, from the environment to you know women, women empowerment, and you know thinking about you know access to clean water and you know sustainability and you know and and fashion and all the th- it, it was just literally just popped into my head. I thought, what if I created a better water bottle? And then from that moment on, you know, for the last. 10 years, just bubble 10, turn 10 this summer. I, that's the, that's the sole mission and focus I've had in my life. And it's interesting to think about, and if you could take us back and think about what was the environment in terms of water bottles, like back then, like, what did it look like? Because now like, there's probably no better time to be a water bottle consumer. You know, like we can, there's, there's so many choices. Like you can get a fashionable swell water bottle now, but you couldn't then what, like, what did that, what did the market look like when you're, when you started doing your research? So there were a lot of bottles on the market, great, great companies that made, you know, fine products, but it was more of a camping accessory. When you think about what the bottles look like or where you would purchase them or how they were designed, the products on the market were more functional. They were more, you are going to um, the gym and this is your bottle with a sports top. You are going camping overnight and here's your, you, you know, your bottle with a carabiner. It, it wasn't necessarily a product that would be sold in a fashion store or you would buy to express your personality. It was more of just sort of a, a widget that that solved a, a, a need. And so, you know, as, as I as I mentioned previously, like I was really thinking about creating a new product, but really creating a new category for that product and not even bother with the, the current competition because I wasn't looking to compete. I was looking to actually create something entirely new and change customers' actual experience and behaviors by creating something that looked differently and worked differently. So 
know, I, I wrote a, a two page, you know, embarrassing business plan, but I basically said, you know, we're going to be the, the partner of, of fashion week. We're going to be the partner of the Ted conference. We are going to be sold in Bloomingdale's and, and Saks Fifth Avenue. And we're going to be this coveted it thing. And that wasn't, that wasn't the current market for any of the water bottles. They were just, you know, carrying water for your hike in the mountains. And what was your relationship with fashion at that time? I mean, you've mentioned that a bunch. That seems to be a pivotal component of the perspective of Swell. Like what, what was your relationship to fashion? You know, I like to think I'm a fashionable person, but I'm really not. Uh, I'm really not. I'm, I'm, you know, generally wearing a dress and pearls and I'm pretty conservative. I'm, I, but I love to follow fashion. And, and I really thought that the way that I could launch a product without a consumer products background and without a marketing background, and quite honestly, without any budget was to hook a product into the fashion cycle or the zeitgeist of, of people's wants and needs. And so I thought, you know, to try to get earned media, to try to get, uh, you know, women's fashion magazines or partners, you know, with, with, with fashionable, you know, people and brands, that that would be a way to hook my product into kind of a bigger stream that would allow it to sort of catch on instead of just making something, putting on the shelf and then trying to market it. So when I say fashion, what I'm really trying to express is, is sort of um, like, how did I sort of hitch myself to something that was, was bigger than my product? And how did I kind of take something and put it into sort of a, a different stream so people would think about it differently? Wow. Yeah. And that like strategy, that, that approach is just this like really beautiful combination of the magical and the logical, you know, you really thought it through, you know, the magical being your product and that, Hey, I'm going to create a category, but the logical, like how you're going to go out and distribute it really interesting and really intentional, which, which I just don't hear a lot from, um, either first time entrepreneurs or, you know, bootstrapped, uh, startups like yourself. But I think part of it just came with age and experience. And so I didn't start swell until, you know, in my early, I was in my, my early thirties. And so I think it just took me being a consumer for a long time and being really observant of, of other companies and other brands and just, you know, being a student of the world. I think that's, you know, as much as I was frustrated that I didn't come up with the idea, you know, decades ago, and, you know, I'm, I'm not long retired and I'm still working really hard. I don't know that we would have been so successful if, if I, if I didn't have some, you know, you know, twists and turns in my career and some, you know, some, some gray hairs when I started the company. This episode brought to you by Wild Story. Wait, isn't that your company? It is. And without the generous support of Wild Story, this show would not be possible. A brand isn't a logo or a tagline or even your product. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Wild Story helps progressive founders and savvy marketers build purpose-driven brands that connect their business goals with the customers they want to serve so that both the business and the customer needs are met. This results in crazy, happy, loyal customers that purchase again and again, and this is great for business. If that sounds like something you and your team might want to learn more about, reach out at www.wildstory.com, and we'd be happy to tell you more. Now back to our show. So you had this great idea. You you wrote a two page business plan, which is very impressive, and uh, <laughs> and you know you had this theory and that you were going to hook up with uh, you know Fashion Week and other you know use that as as a way to pull you through. Is that the way it worked? Like, how did you actually start? So you have this idea. Like, how'd you get you know start? How'd you get your first bottle? It was messy. You know, it was it was things did not just jump off the page and into the stores. You know, it was trying to talk to people in my network, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how do you make a website? How do you come up with the brand name? How do you make a product? How do you find a factory? So there were, there were a lot of sort of twists and turns. I think the one thing that I did though, was just take a lot of people out for lunch, a lot of people out for coffee, um, you know, try to, just explain the best I could, you know, what I was trying to do and just ask for help uh, for the things that I didn't know. 
And, you know, of course, now I understand how to make and, and, and launch a product, but there were a lot of, a lot of things that took 10 times longer in those early days because it was also new to me. Was the, like for, was the design of the bottle, was that, that, that we see today, the classic swell bottle, was that in your mind when you envisioned it in Arizona or how, how did that come about? You know, that actually came about is that I wanted to make something really old fashioned. I wanted something that didn't have any bells and whistles. I wanted it to be sort of, you know, not just for that fashion girl, but I wanted it to be for everyone. And so, you know, one of the things that I kept coming back to for a very short period in my life growing up, we actually had milkman delivery and um, didn't work out. It was a startup, um, but, you know, my parents wanted to support another small business in our town. And, you know, for, for a period of time in my life, we actually had someone that came and, you know, delivered, you know, milk and cheese into a cooler on, on our front porch. But when the company went out of business, they just left us with those milk bottles. And so one of the things that I thought about was like, how do you create something as iconic as the original, you know, milkman, but how do you do it in a way that's like a very beautifully designed product that would be, you know, fitting to sit on the shelves, you know, of the MoMA store where we're sold in, in New York. And so I worked with, um, with a freelancer, uh, and a design team in, in New York to really take that idea and, and put it on paper. And then from paper, to, you know, to CAD, to, you know, 3D prints, and then to a product. But there was a lot of pantomiming along the way. Like, could it be taller? Could it be shorter? You know, do I have a friend that has a baby that could try to put it in their stroller to make sure it fits? Do I have a, do I have a friend that has, you know, a different type of car that we could try it out in? So there wasn't a lot of like real, you know, in-home consumer user testing and things like that, you know, in those early days and things that we do now, but it was more just sort of, kind of using my gut of what I thought the product should look like. Do you remember the, uh, the very first prototype you ever received? I mean, did it look like the bottle that looks now or was it a, uh, a heartbreaking story? <laughs> well, it was a heart, it was a heartbreaking story. It was, it was pretty bad, but I, I still remember it coming. And, uh, I, I asked friends to be around me when I opened it and we all kind of looked at it and no one wanted to say that my baby was ugly, but we all kind of looked at each other like, Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it 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 wasn't perfect in the beginning. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and and what and how were you as an early leader? Were you like like I know me like I, if I if I opened up that bottle and it was just misshapen or it just wasn't living up, I would be crushed, you know, and probably take me days to to rebound. And you know, some people are obviously much more resilient. Were you, were you like thinking of quitting? Were you just the type of person that was like, hey, I I can make this better? Like like how did you react to that? I, you know, I would say. Both. I mean, there were certainly moments in the early days where it's like, well, maybe this isn't working out and I should go do something else. And then, you know, I'd, I'd go for a, a walk or call a friend and, and calm down about it and then say, no, you know, actually, I think that there's a way around this. I think that, you know, let's just give it one more one more try and couldn't we just do this? And so I, I think I was a little bit of both. Like there were certainly some discouraging moments of thinking, gosh, how, how, why did I think I could do this? And then really thinking it through thinking, ah, maybe, maybe that was a knucklehead thing to do, but if I just tried it, you know, one more time, maybe it'll work out better. I mean, did anybody ever tell you, Hey, Sarah, this, this probably isn't going to work out anyone that you respected and, and oh, yeah. re- really made you like double, double think. Yeah. I mean, friends, family members, I, I hired an accountant, which is funny, but I hired an accountant to come and like set up my QuickBooks file, which was like the backbone of my, my whole system, you know, for the first number of years and really nice guy. And he came over to my apartment, which was also my office at the time and sat down and he's like, okay, bring me all the bank statements and I'll set up the file and get you started. And he goes, no, I told you all the bank statements. And I said, no, this, this is all the statements. And he just looked at me and he's like, how much is the rent of this apartment? Because you actually have less money in the bank than, <laughs> than you have to pay rent on the space that we're sitting right now. And of course I showed him underneath the table. I had all this inventory that was sort of underneath the kitchen table. And I said, well, that's fine. I've, I've already pre-purchased all the inventory for the next six months. I just have to be motivated to get out and sell it. And he's, he just looked at me and he's like, but you could get a real job. Like you don't have to be doing this, you know, and we, we still laugh about that moment, but yeah, I mean, it literally was like, you know, they're, they're not really any decimal points behind the balance of that first file we set up, but you know, it, it worked out. And I think I almost needed that fire in my belly to, to get out and, and, you know, sell, sell, sell in those early days. But, you know, I, I had all kinds of people that thought this was a real crazy idea. 
Yeah, and what did that like early sales activity look like? Because I'm guessing if I'm I've got my timing right, you probably just didn't go to Facebook and start putting up ads and sit back and watch all the traffic coming in. I mean, did, were you going door to door and were you uh, just you know pounding the pavement, so to speak? I was. Yeah, I was going door to door, walking into stores, asking to talk to the buyer, introducing myself. Um, I made a little folder with a little press kit and wrote the copy and took the pictures and dropped it off. Uh, I I wrote postcards, old-fashioned postcards, and put them in the mail and said, I'm from Sarah. I'm going to be coming to your store on Tuesday afternoon. Keep an eye out for me. Just just try to have a human connection. You know, in, in some cases, people would be very skeptical of, of the price point. And I said, well, why don't I just leave them here on the shelf? And if they don't sell, I'll come pick them up next Tuesday. And then I'd pop in the next Tuesday. I said, actually, you know, we sold half of them. You dropped off. Maybe we'll put in an order. So it was great. I mean, I, I, I still keep in touch today with, you know, some of those very first stores that, that took us in. And um, I'm still so appreciative of the fact they gave me a chance and they taught me a lot. You know, I, I asked them like, you know, how do you find all these products? All the entrepreneurs couldn't walk in the door themselves. And they said, oh, we go to trade shows or we have sales reps or, you know, so I, I be, just being on the front lines of my own business really allowed me to kind of see what I needed to do to grow and scale. So even though it was not very sexy and it was a lot of hard work, it kind of, it, it gave me a great education. Yeah. And what about those stores that said no? What was that like? Oh, so frustrating. So frustrating. <laughs> and what was so frustrating is sometimes stores would say no forever. And then they would call me out of the blue and say, oh, I was just reading a magazine. and I discovered your product and I'd like to sell it now. And I'm thinking, you discovered the product because you have five samples sitting in your back room because I've been trying to get in there. But everybody wanted to kind of, you know, be part of our success, you know, as we were starting to take off. So I just let people say, oh, okay, thank you for discovering us. But, you know, in some cases, you know, the, the those no's uh, were really just a fun challenge for me. Like like Bloomingdale's. Bloomingdale said no for two years. And they said, we don't carry water bottles. And I kept saying, but we are not a water bottle. We are a hydration fashion accessory. And we belong on your shelves just as much as, you know, a scarf, a handbag, a pair of shoes. Um, because we're, we're a fashion statement. And uh, the cool thing about that is when they finally said yes and came around, they have been such an incredible partner. Like we, we've actually had entire window displays in their 59th street store in Manhattan on fifth Avenue. We've had holiday windows, you know, they've done custom products with us. They, they write like little Brown bottle, you know, like their little Brown bag on our bottle. Um, so, you know, that perseverance, we can laugh about it now as much as I'm like, you know, come on guys. Um, this was, this was really hard for you to see the light. You know, they've been, they've been a great partner and they're really fun to work with now. Yeah. And how close to the brand we see today was that original brand? Was it called Swell? Did, it, did you have the website, you know, swell.com? Like, the, did it look and feel very similar to, to, to what it is today? No. So we just recently launched swell.com. We, we were Swell Bottle in the early days. Even before that, we were even a worse name, which was can't live without it.com. Um, because, uh, I thought that was a great name for for a water bottle company, but you know, within the first couple of months, we became we became Swell and and bought Swell Bottle. But the first website was very mission focused. You know, I had, you know, I this is a, a mission driven company and has been from the beginning. And I had a bit of a platform where I wanted to tell people about how much plastic was in the ocean. You know, I wanted I wanted people to understand, you know, the impact you could have about, you know, using a single use bottle. You know, I, I basically had statistics on there like, you know, by 2021 it's expected that 583 billion single use drinking plastic bottles will be sold and less than two thirds of those would be recycled. Um, you know, I, I had stats about the water crisis and, you know, people that don't have access to clean water and the fact that we partner with, you know, UNICEF to bring clean drinking water to, to people in need. And people would come to the website and they would spend about 10 seconds and then they would feel bad about themselves and then they would leave the website. Uh, and, and I realized that what I needed to do is sort of turn that upside down and lead with product. I had to have beautiful pictures of the product. You know, I had to be a fashion company. You know, when you looked at the, the imagery, they couldn't be pictures I took myself. Um, you know, I had to, I had to get a photographer to take some pictures. Um, you know, I needed to kind of pump up the copy and, you know, and, and really have people 
want to spend time on the site and I had to have people want to buy the product. And then by the way, they're doing something good for the planet and its people because they're doing that. So like, if you look in that way back machine where you can visit websites from a long time ago, like we'll be a case study of, you know, what not to do. But I didn't know any differently when I was starting. I just thought all of our consumers would be passionate about all the same things that I was. Yeah, that's such an interesting insight. And just so like my my head's kind of blowing up a little bit because I think, you know, we, you know, at our company, we work with purpose-driven brands. A lot of people have missions and, and it's core to what they do, but it's almost in order to achieve your goal and your mission, you can't lead with your mission. And that's a you know, sometimes it's just too much to take. Like you said, it makes people feel bad about themselves or, Hey, like I want to help out, but I don't want to be all in on this, you know, activism. Like like, I want to do my part type thing. And it's just a really interesting insight hearing you speak and, and, and have that realization that sometimes you have to, in order to further your mission, you have to back away from it forward facing a little bit. Yep. I think that's exactly right. You know, one of the things that I'm feeling really positive right now is we can embrace uh, the sustainability piece a lot more now. I'd like to take a little credit for it, um, but I think we can be a little bit more forthcoming on sort of those statistics and the impact than I could be in the beginning. Not to say that, you know, that fashion and design still isn't essential to what we do, but because sustainability and and sort of just the mindset around sustainability is taking a center stage, we can start to kind of come back to some of that original messaging, still not as green, but, you know, kind of. So I think it's interesting for brands to kind of think about like, what are those levers and, and, and how do you turn them up and turn them down depending upon, you know, what, what society, you know, can handle and, and, you know, how, how do you get your mission in people's hands? You know, and are you focusing on the product? Are you focusing on the story? Yeah, that's, that's, that's so great. And, uh, and like I said, my, my head's spinning. And so thank you for sharing that. Where did the name swell come from? It's such like a beautifully compact. It's like one of those names. It's kind of like a, like, you're like, no, like, like, of course, like what a great name, but I'm sure, I, I don't, I don't know if you felt that like, when it was first presented, like where, where did that name come from? You know, I really wanted something old fashioned and I wanted something that was very positive, like something that was happy, something that would make you feel good. So uh, I worked with the design team on building the first website and they were not asked to um, to come up with a, a name. Uh, I thought I had a great name. Can't live without it. Can't live without it.com. I purchased it. You know, you can't live without water, bringing water to people in need. It, you know, it, it all made sense. And um, they asked me, they said, hey, what are you going to call this company? And I said, well, can't live without it. And they all just cracked up laughing. And they said, listen, you're not a marketer. Why don't we come up with some names? <laughs> Why don't we come up with some name exploration? And, uh, you know, in in addition to helping you build out the website, we'll we'll uh, just name this thing for you because we really want this to be successful. I said, okay, fine. Um, you know, my ego being a little bit hurt that, you know, my name wasn't good enough. And, you know, I started running it by friends and they totally agreed that was a terrible idea. Um, so they came out with, you know, a handful of names and Swell was the first one I was really gravitated to. And um, unfortunately, the attorney said that we couldn't have it. And long story short, a friend of mine said that if you put an apostrophe in the word swell, you know, between the S and the W, um, it becomes sort of a logo and not a name. And uh, we were able to, to register it as, you know, as a name. So it was a bit of a back and forth between sort of the, the marketing branding side and the legal side of what you're, you're allowed to, to do and, and to call it. But, but, but what I love about swell as a name is, you know, it's not only old fashioned and positive, but there's so many meanings, you know, there's like the, the whole groundswell of, of support and, you know, the whole, the fact that people say, I need to go find my swell and it actually becomes an object, an object of desire. And it, it just, it, it sort of is, it's part of the personality of the brand. So I'm glad we stuck to it. I'm glad we were able to make that work because I think we would be a different company if we were called anything else. Yeah, I love it. And thanks for an- answering the, you know, my, my burning question about the apostrophe. I had, I had all sorts of like conspiracy theories, but uh, you answered it and it was perfect. <laughs> it's hard not to put an apostrophe in everything. We, we, we launched food containers last year and I called them snack. And, you know, we've got a whole bunch of other, you know, new products that are coming out and I keep putting S apostrophes in front of everything now. I think it's part of our magic. And my, I think my team is kind of looking at me like, okay, here we go again. So not all of our products have an apostrophe in them, but some of my favorite ones do. Yeah. I love it. It's recognizable. Yeah. It's, it's, it's become your brand, which is, which is really all you can ask for. Right. Yeah. Thanks. 
Yeah, that's cool. So what does Swell look like today? So you started 10 years ago. So when, when is the anniversary? Did you have it already or is it coming up? Uh, well, officially, um, it's, well, we kind of made up when it's going to be, but we've kind of passed it, but we're doing it in July. So we are having our big 10 year anniversary in July. So, uh, coming soon and, um, we're really just honoring our customers, you know, our customers that have been by our side and have, you know, joined us in this mission and, and helped us make such impact. You know, we've together saved over 4 billion single-use plastic bottles in the last 10 years, and that's a conservative estimate. And we just know that we can do so much more together. So we're just going to take the whole month of July and just honor our customers and say thank you. Yeah. And like how many water bottles have you put out there in the world? I think the last we counted was last year and it was over 20 million. How does that make you feel? You know, it makes me feel really proud. You know, I, I think as an entrepreneur, you're always, you're always looking at your to-do lists and you're always, you know, thinking that there's so much more you could and should be doing, but it makes me incredibly proud. You know, it's, it's hard to, to not run into my products everywhere, you know, um, on, on, you know, Netflix movies and TV shows and, you know, the, the war room for putting SpaceX up, you know, there's one of those smart engineers sitting there with a swell. Like it's hard not to turn on the TV and zero in and see my product in the background, you know, or, you know, really great people that have supported us and, you know, put pictures on Instagram. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so cool to just kind of see the way that our product has been embraced by our customers and is, is really out there in, in different lives. So as much as I like to think about, you know, how much more we could and should be doing and, you know, have plans for the future, it just makes me incredibly proud, you know, to think there's so many of these things walking around and they're such a big part of people's lives. Totally. And so what, you know, you just mentioned it, what does the future look like for Swell? You know, what I'm excited about is that right now, there's such a trend about consumers looking for brands to deliver on a more thoughtful approach to production and commerce. And that, you know, it's it's really thinking about how everyone is connected and how all these small steps can contribute to a bigger impact. And so, you know, what we're finding is that, you know, we've just recently announced that we're a B Corp and it's a really good time because we're finding that consumers really want to work with a purpose-driven brand. You know, they're willing to try new products from, from brands that they know and love and spend more with those brands, which means then we can actually have a bigger impact on the planet. Um, one of the things I'm super passionate about right now is just working with some of the biggest companies in the world as they're rethinking their supply chains because a lot of these big companies they put out these huge amazing sustainability goals but they don't necessarily know how to how to meet them or reach them and we're really the the best known reusable container company and it doesn't matter what type of you know uh, food beverage you know goop you might be making you need to think about what kind of a reusable container will customers use, adopt, covet, you know, clean and reuse. And oftentimes Swell is sort of that first call that these, these companies or these sustainability teams of these companies are making. So I'm finding sort of a real sense of um, excitement, um, me personally, and, and, you know, even within Swell, of really thinking beyond the products we make right now, but thinking about how we use partnerships to do even more all, all around sort of our mission of, you know, getting single use plastics and just less waste in the world. Hmm. And it's crazy to think, I mean, this all goes back to those moments where you were either hiking in Arizona or you were in Peru and <laughs> looking at, mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of dirty bottles in the water and, you know, and, and it was just, to me, something that's so powerful is that was just an idea by Sarah that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. It was this like figment of your imagination. And you've turned it into reality, which is actually making a difference and impacting the world in a way that you dreamed of. So you turned your dream into your story. And clearly the ending is, is not written yet. It's still evolving. But that when you look back, that has to, to make you feel pretty good. Yeah. It's, I mean, when you put it that way, it's, it is pretty crazy, but it does. It does make me pretty, 
pretty proud. It makes me feel pretty good. You know, I, I think it just shows, I mean, you just, you have to start somewhere, you know, all of these, all of these little steps have, you know, the opportunity of growing. If you just sort of put your, your mind to it, you know, it's a lot of, you know, hard work and <laughs> tears over, over the years. Right. But, you know, all these little steps, you know, kind of grow with, you know, support, you know, f- support from customers, collaborations, people with a shared vision. It's, it's pretty amazing what can happen if you put your mind to it. Absolutely. So when you're holding a a swell bottle today and you're looking at it, like what's special about it? Why is that important to you? Yep. So what's special when I see a swell is I know how much love and care went into the swell. So I'm, I'm sitting, uh, I'm sitting here with one of our travelers right now, which is sort of a wide mouth uh, swell. Um, It's great for for coffee or smoothie. I, I have ice cubes in it, but I'm sitting with a design that it's called Oasis officially, but internally we joke around and call it the sound of music bottle because there's these beautiful mountains and clouds. And, you know, even though I'll be indoors most of today on calls, I feel like I'm in a beautiful mountain mountainscape when I'm sitting here with this bottle and I see it. And I, I know the meetings and the conversations and the photography and the assets and the copy and, you know, the 10,000 steps that went into making this product, I know, and I appreciate, um, I know our customers don't always sort of see, see that level of, you know, of love and magic with each one. But, you know, when I'm, when I'm using our product, for me, it's like each one of them is like one of my favorite children. You know, I, I have a hard time not getting excited when I wake up in the morning and there's still ice from the night before. And I think, gosh, if I didn't own this company, I'd want to write to them because it really works, (laughs) you know? So it's, I still get really excited about, you know, about our, our company and our products, you know, even, even this many, you know, years and this many products in. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. If you could see me right now, I have a, have a big grin ear to ear. I just loved hearing that and it, I could really feel it. So it wasn't just, yeah. uh, it wasn't just your words, but yeah, but I could really thanks. feel it. So thank you. So Sarah, as we come to a close here and, and thank you very much for, for sharing your story. If the 20 year old you, that, that young woman probably at uh, CU Boulder uh, ran into you today, what do you think she'd say? You know, I think she'd be proud. I think she would probably tell me to, you know, go to the gym, (laughs) try to take myself a little bit less seriously, um, try to have a little bit more fun. But I think 20-year-old Sarah would be proud that she finally figured it out, you know? You know, I think if I could go and tell her something, I would just say kind of give yourself some time, be gentle with yourself. You're going to get there. You'll figure it out. You know, there's probably going to be some dead ends along the way, but it'll all be fine. But yeah, I think I think 20 year old Sarah would would be pretty, pretty glad it all worked out. And that is Sarah Kaus from Swell Bottle. What would you do if you could not fail? Would you take on one of the world's biggest challenges like single use plastics? Sarah's story is a great example of what a single person can do when they put their mind to a big, audacious goal. Will it be easy? No. Will the path be linear? Most likely not. Will the reward be worth the struggle? Most definitely. If you haven't seen Swell Bottles, you can check them out at swell.com. That's S-W-E-L-L.com. Thank you again to Sarah and the team at Swell. Keep saving the world one bottle at a time. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny.